Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. So, hello, and welcome to the Eurotrip. It has been another busy week in the world of Eurovision, hasn't it, Rob? That is the wonderful thing about national final season. There is always plenty to talk about, and we finally have another song that is competing in Rotterdam. We have two songs for 2021, which means, I'm sure, probably, that Twitter already uh, full of your favourite things, which is... Rambo Amade... Oh, my God, I think I said it. How many times? It does begin with R, the word I was after, but uh, it wasn't that one. Uh, no, rankings. Eurovision fans love a ranking on Twitter, don't they? Top top two. Top two Eurovision songs of 2021. <laughs> all of this, however, does. I've been doing some maths, and this is all very, very exciting. Uh, so today, the day of the podcast release, if you're listening on day of release on Wednesday, is 27th January, correct? Correct. Well done. 10 points. Or 12 points, should I say. Deuxième point. Uh, the... Uh, deadline by which songs have to go to the EBU is the 14th of March. So not that long away. Uh, I've been in some maths. There are 46 days between those uh, between those two dates. And there are 39 songs. Very good. What does that mean then? Well, it's almost a song a day, James. So Almost a song a day. So not you... quite one song a day. Not quite a song a day, and I've also realised when I say I've done the maths, uh, what I mean is I've come up with two dates, but not actually done the maths. So <laughs> please excuse me just while I uh, use the calculator on my phone. If this is your first time listening to the Eurotrip podcast, I assure you it is usually a lot more riveting than this. Just you wait. There is plenty coming up that, to keep you entertained. Not that this isn't, obviously, I'm sure. Uh, 0.847 songs a day between now and the head of delegations meeting. 
well, wasn't that worth the wait. Let's get on with the podcast. It's time for the Euro trip. Let the dance macabre begin. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and a very warm welcome. I know the only one show in the world that combines it all. Singing, music, dancing, traditional and ethnic styles. It's massive. It's twice the Super Bowl. It's like 200 million people. When we reach the end of the show in approximately three to eight hours, we will have a new champion. Now let's get to it. Are you ready to party Europe? It is easy what I say. What I say. This is the Euro Trip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, your favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And this week, Atli Ovarsson. That's right, this week we are doing things a little bit differently. Fear not, of course, national selection season is in full swing, so we've got plenty of coverage of that to come on this week's episode. But I was fortunate enough to have a chat with the composer of the music for Netflix's massive film from last year, Eurovision the story of Fire Saga. Now, I don't know about you, James, but I was a big fan of that film. So was I. I was a massive fan of the film, and I know it was a bit of a Marmite film. Some people didn't like it because it wasn't Eurovision through and through. It didn't follow the norms and the rules, but you've got to suspend reality for a movie like that, and it was a lovely film. It really was. It was just the the joy that we all need at this very difficult time, I think. You say suspend reality. The town of Husevik, of course, where the film is based, actually a real place, 45 minutes from where Atlee lives. Who knew? Uh, I had a chat to him, though, all about the film's brilliant score and also about his surprising connection to the contest. Two of my brothers have competed for Iceland in Eurovision. So, you know, there's like a family connection to it. And... And way back when, before I even moved to America, I played keyboards in the sort of like the Icelandic Eurovision band. So we will hear more from Atli a little bit later on in this episode, but don't worry, we will be covering all of the latest news. And as always, having a chat with some of the national finalist hopefuls who are trying to represent their country at this year's Eurovision Song Contest. That's right, France are holding their national final this weekend, so we're going to hear from plenty of the contestants involved in that. And we're also going to sit down and have a chat all about Israel and their song for Eurovision 2021. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. That's right, this is the Eurotrip. It is an absolute pleasure, as I say every week, to have you along for the ride this week. Thank you for choosing to listen to us every week. If you're a regular listener, if you're new, welcome along. Plenty to look forward to. As we mentioned there, we've got that big interview coming up later on with Atli Ovarsson, who is the composer of Eurovision, the story of Fire Saga. Uh, did you enjoy my attempt at an Icelandic pronunciation of Atli's surname there? I certainly did. It sounded a little bit better than mine as well, because I gave it a bit of a go, but I think I bailed about halfway through, so it didn't quite cut the mustard, did it? As you uh, brought to us a few weeks ago, a long time ago, actually, isn't it all about kick? Let's say it with confidence. That is absolutely right. Uh, Confidence is key, and you clearly took that mantra on board today, so very well done. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Plenty of reaction as well to last week's episode, which we love, by the way, so please do keep that coming. Whenever you listen to the podcast, whenever you have anything to say, do tweet us. We are at Eurotrip Podcast, because last week we were joined by Albert 
from uh, Lake Malawi, of course, who represented the Czech Republic in 2019. He attempted to represent Poland in 2020, and that is what had a lot of people talking, James. It certainly did, didn't it? It kicked up a massive storm on Twitter, which we love to see uh, people getting involved in the in the stories that come from some of these big interviews. Uh, one tweet uh, I really enjoyed was from AJ. He got in touch to say about the podcast that he thought it was great and that he could relate to Albert, saying he was sad after Eurovision had ended because he was also sad after coming back from Eurovision 2019 because he had such a fun week. And both you and I, Rob, can relate to that because we've both been to the contest in different years. And that journey home is... It's so upsetting, isn't it? It's uh, it's difficult. Thankfully, me and you, we went to Eurovisions that weren't entirely that far away. So the plane journey home was not particularly long. But you have that combination of Eurovision's finished. So you think, well, what am I going to make small talk with anybody about for the next <laughs> at least 11 months? And uh, and also, you, you normally have a hangover. So it's, it's, it's not, a, no, not really a mix uh, that anyone enjoys. It's a double trouble, you could say, which is also a link to this week's big interview. So how about that little joke there, Rob? Sorry, a little bit of... Is that vomit in the back of my throat? (laughs) I think think it might be. I think it might be. Uh, Loads of reaction to last week's episode. Thank you very much. Uh, Including, as well, uh, my interview with Dutch journalist Sheila Kammerman. Now, she gave us the insight into what is the COVID situation at the moment in the Netherlands. Uh, So really, really interesting lesson as we approach a decision from the EBU potentially on the sort of Eurovision we can see and can expect uh, later on this year. But as we've already said, national selection season in full swing. So it is time for this. So that's right, I am going to mention this every single week about that hideously cheesy music that you've just been hearing uh, because it means it's time for this week's news, Rob. It's been another busy weekend of sitting down watching national selection shows where you don't really know what's happening. Presumably they feature in your uh, in your little roundup. They certainly do. I'll get into it if you like. Please do. Let's go. Uh, We'll start in Norway because the second semi-final of Melody Grand Prix took place last weekend. Rayleigh took victory and guaranteed a spot in the Grand Final, which takes place on the 20th of February. Uh, On Monday this week, the four acts that are set to compete in the third semi-final were unveiled. Uh, You can read more about those on uvoir.com and let's take a listen to all those four songs right now. So Rob, you've heard the songs there. What do you make of those? Strongest semi-final in Melody Grand Prix so far. That's what I'm saying. We're going out on a limb. 
That's what he's saying. He's going out on a limb. Do you agree? Get in touch on Twitter at Eurotrip Podcast. Um, over in Lithuania, the second heat of their selection show took place on Saturday. Five acts have qualified to the semi-final, but all of the attention and all of the focus was on the Roop's guest performance. Let's take a listen to their song, Discotech. So, Rob, they already have a place in the final of Lithuania Selection Show. What do you think about their chances this year? I think their chances are very, very good. And I want to see them in Rotterdam because I have spent night after night attempting that choreography (laughs) coming to a Twitter timeline near you. (laughs) Haven't we all? That hand movement. I'm trying to do it right now on the Zoom call in front of Rob. And uh, how's it going, Rob? Yeah, not that well. You look a little bit like you're having some sort of spasm. Anyway, the five acts joining the group in the grand final will be decided this Saturday in the semi-final, which, of course, can be watched on Uvoir's video-on-demand service, Uvoir TV. Over in Azerbaijan, the submissions window to submit songs for their artist, Effendi, has been extended to February the 1st, despite eight songs already being on the shortlist. Speaking of choosing songs, Montaigne in Australia has confirmed that she has chosen her song for Eurovision 2021. Uh, It's not yet clear whether or not this has been written by Diane Warren, as teased earlier in the month. A song we do know the name of is El Diablo. That is Alina's song for Cyprus that will be revealed on February the 24th. And you may remember our interview last week with Sheila Kammerman, a journalist based in Rotterdam. She told us about the factors that are being taken into consideration to decide which scenario we'll see at Eurovision 2021. Since then, executive producer Sietzi Baka has come out and said that the decision on whether or not a live audience will be in attendance could be taken as late as mid-April. And that, Rob, is all the news. So that, potentially, the busiest roundup we've had so far, I think. And great to hear from Sietzi Backer that they're going to put back that decision on the audience at Eurovision for as long as possible, which I think gives us the best chance of having some sort of an audience in the Ahoy in Rotterdam by the time we get to May. Uh, Maybe an audience to see Eden Elen's new song for Israel. Now, Israel, they chose their entry, of course, on Monday this week. So earlier on, I sat down for a chat with Alon Amir, who is Israel's former head of press, and I asked what he thinks of their entry. Well, first of all, out of those three songs, I think that was the best one. That was my choice. It's not bad at the moment. I mean, the structure, everything, it's... they have a lot to work with. I do think it needs uh, an urgent revamp uh, of the structure of the song and of course the arrangement. And But we can do something with it and there's a chance of qualifying to the final, hopefully. What are some of those elements that you would potentially change? You've talked about the structure, but is there anything that sort of comes to mind that you think that could really do with changing if the song is to be more successful? I would have started with the chorus, because uh, it's very strong, and arrangement, uh, change it completely, do it uh, better, obviously. It's a little bit empty. It's a little bit like a demo at the moment for my ears. 
Uh, I'm not sure about the change of key at the end. It's a little bit dated. It may work. I'm not sure if they should take it out, but I would, you know, test it. What do you make of the way that uh, Eden's song was was chosen for her this year? Of course, because initially we were going to have uh, big national finals with many, many songs with people voting on them. And then we got demos that were then voted on online. And then we ended up with the, these three songs. And then on Monday night, we had the show, which was kind of a, a playing of different music videos and then the reveal of, of Set Me Free as the winner. So, I mean, what do you make of what we saw? It was it was slightly confused, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know, but confused was disappointing. You know, a lot of times I listened to the songs uh, before uh, or watched the videos and in my head I'm like, I know what I'm going to choose. I know who I'm, I'll be voting for. And then you see the live performances and it changes completely. So far, we haven't heard... Eden singing Set Me Free Live. I don't know if it fits her well, if she can sing it, how it will uh, be shown on stage, what's, what's the vibe. Why do you think it is that we, that we didn't see it live? Obviously, people are going to talk about the pandemic and the COVID situation at the moment, but... I'm not buying that. not buying that. I think money, I think budget, you know, I think... I'm not buying it, you know. Uh, we see uh, what's Norway is doing and what Sweden will uh, do and, and, you know, it can be done uh, easily. So I'm not buying the pandemic thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, that moves us on to to Israel's attitude to Eurovision generally, uh, which, of course, you are brilliantly placed to talk about because, you know, it's not long ago, just two, less than two years ago, that, that Eurovision was in Israel and, and the year before Israel won the contest. It seems to be... I don't know, from an outsider looking in, it, it seems that it's it's a little inconsistent, perhaps. Some years, it's a really strong entry, and then some years, maybe the the um, the effort isn't as isn't what it could be. I'm always saying that, you know, uh, the level of enthusiasm in the country towards Eurovision is reflected by how the broadcaster is uh, dealing with Eurovision. Uh, five, six years ago, we started the uh, next uh, star for Eurovision and and everybody was in it. And the Eurovision was the biggest thing. Now it's not. It's it's by Khan, the broadcaster, uh, which did a fantastic job hosting the Eurovision in, in uh, 2019. But it seems like uh, there isn't a lot of uh, excitement about Eurovision, about Ed and Elena, uh, about the song. It's like people are talking about it, but it will get airplay uh, on the radio, of course. But people don't really care, maybe because it's the same singer, maybe because they're a little bit uh, baffled, maybe because, you know, the Eurovision was cancelled. Will there be Eurovision? Will there not? How it will be uh, organized, live, recorded? Nobody knows. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, uh, it's true to say that this year I... Feel like the Israelis are not paying so much attention and it happens I think after having hosted the contest you're a little bit overdosed with Eurovision so people are a little bit you know giving it a rest. And, and just finally then to, to kind of to get your predictions which I appreciate is impossible because we've only got two songs of course but and we haven't heard her singing it live so I know I don't know is, does the song, you, you talked about it at the very start, does the song have enough, do you think, to qualify direct to the final? Is qualifying 
the goal. If they'll revamp the song, if they'll do it well, if their live performance will be great, they have a chance of doing quite well. Um, winning, no. <laughs> We're not, uh, I don't think uh, Khan, the broadcaster, should uh, you know, reserve uh, the venue again for next year. But uh, I hope the gods of Duzbois will be with Ed and Elena and that she will, you know, first of all, she, I hope she'll enjoy this experience because it's a great experience, whether you will do well or not. Let's say, you know, uh, I'm always saying perspective people, it's with all the respect and I've been part of it for so many years. We're not doctors, it's not the ER, it's just the Eurovision Song Contest. If we won't qualify, no one will die. There's always next year, it's okay. This is the Euro trip. It is indeed. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, there is still plenty for you to look forward to on this week's episode, because in a few minutes' time, my special interview with Atli Ovarsen, the composer of Eurovision, the story of Fire Saga, is on the way. But first, James, we've had a couple of weeks of selection programmes in January so far. We've had a couple from Norway, we've had a couple from Lithuania, but we've got a full-blown national final coming up this weekend. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rob. We've had a couple of weeks of Melody Grand Prix. We've had a couple of weeks of uh, Dames now, or whatever it's called. But now, as you say, a full-blown national final to decide another song. Be the third song, I expect, for Eurovision 2021. And it's all taking place in France. It absolutely is, which automatically is quite anxiety-provoking within me, given that at school I was actually allowed to drop French, given special dispensation because my French is so bad and I was so terrible at it, uh, I was allowed to drop French in place of food technology. No way, is that so? It is indeed. So I can't speak French, but I can make a banging shepherd's pie and could so at the age of 15. (laughs) Oh, well, there you go. Unfortunately, a shepherd's pie will not stand you in any stead on the Eurotrip podcast. So... Yeah, unfortunately, not a lot of Shepherd's Pies attempting to represent their <laughs> nations at this year's European Song Contest. Anyway, we digress. Uh, me and James have been very busy over the last few weeks chatting to some of those who will be attempting to fly the French flag in Rotterdam in May. Uh, we're going to start with, and I'm really, really sorry about this pronunciation, having given you the uh, the excuse before I attempt it. Uh, I had a lovely old time chatting to Manon and Julien. Uh, now they are from... I've forgotten how you say 21. <laughs> 21. There you are, everybody. Uh, they are from 21 Juen Le Duo, which is a fun name. Uh, apparently it's the date they met, uh, as I found out in the interview. Anyway, they told me that their mission to represent France at Eurovision has been a long time coming. Actually, we were dreaming about Eurovision for a few years since uh, our duet started uh, four years ago. Actually, yeah. it was four years ago. And we had met the French TV uh, Eurovision team uh, three years ago. And uh, this year, France uh, has decided to, uh, to, to open the selection to, uh, nationally, actually. So we thought, okay, now it's time we're going to try to apply. And we we had this song that we just wrote before the Eurovision selection uh, that was talking about a a matter that really matters to us, that is uh, environment. And and we we thought it was a happy song. It was representing us and representing uh, the French 
country which the is world. the world uh, pretty pretty well so we decided to apply like this we want to to, to propose something happy something uh, something positive but we talk about the serious matter but we want like the the most important for us is to to party and get connected together again because uh, last year was a hard year for uh, all of us so this year we think it's time to come back to to a happier life So that's one down. We've still got three more French hopefuls to hear from. We're now going to jump across to Juliette Moren. Is a decent enough pronunciation? That was very nicely done. You weren't busy making shepherd's pies at school, were you? <laughs> you were actually allowed in the class. <laughs> so yes, we are going to hear from Juliette now. And this is her explaining how a friend of hers, who has also represented France as well, inspired her to take part in the national selection this year. My, my relationship with Eurovision is from when I was a little girl. I was watching it uh, on TV. Then when I was a teenager, I stopped watching it because uh, it was like not so cool. And, um, and I think it's, it's when uh, Amir, who did the voice with me, um, get back to that contest. And because he was a friend of mine, I was like, okay, let's give it a try. Let's give it a chance again. So I watched it and I was like, this is an awesome contest because it's so about... Um, being um, who you are and uh, and um, I don't know I like this freedom um, uh, you can express yourself and the LGBT uh, can just uh, be who they are I don't know I just I just love that and I and I didn't realize that when I was a little girl um, also my relationship with it is of course uh, the um, Celine Dion song Ne uh, partez pas sans moi that I love so much and um, and also, um, I think it was Natasha Saint-Pierre or Patrick Fury that I that I that I loved as when I was a teenager. I was listening to them so much, and when I realized they made their Eurovision, I was like, "Yes, you made it, guys! So why not me?" So thank you very much to Juliet for sitting down with us and having a chat. Next up to a name that thankfully I can pronounce, it's Terence James. Now you heard from him on the podcast in a bit of a longer interview uh, a couple of weeks ago, but he's of course attempting to represent his adopted nation. He's got a Scottish father, he's got an English mother, but he was brought up and raised in France. It's where he calls home and he is now attempting to represent them at Eurovision. It's a very, very popular song, and I started by asking him how he came to be part of France's Eurovision selection in the first place. Obviously, I watch it. It's, I think it's, it, it brings so much joy to so many people around the world, and I think it's, uh, especially this year, I think it's incredible um, that it's you know going to go ahead, well, next year. I think it's absolutely incredible after the year that everyone's had. Um, but the, the way I kind of got involved with it was um, someone phoned me with a song written by Ben Mesrier, his name is, he's a, a, a quite a famous French artist. Um, and they phoned me with this song and said, listen, we, we really want this song to go to Eurovision. And we saw you on The Voice and we really want you to sing this song. Um, 
so then we we spoke about it and I listened to the song and I thought it was a good song and you know things started moving forward and then we thought because I'm half Scottish um we thought why not stick some bagpipes in there and make it a bit more uh, make it a little bit more me like move it more towards me because I'm not used to singing in French um so yeah we, we kind of made it a bit more Terency. <laughs> um, and then I, I absolutely love the song now and I think it's a, an absolute beast and I think it's uh, it's one of those songs that you hear it once and you can you can sing the chorus because obviously it's quite a repetitive chorus um, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing some people are saying it is I think it gets in there and it becomes one of those annoying songs that you can't get out of your head um, which is a good thing I think um, so yeah ho hopefully France agree and vote me through so I can get on that stage in Rotterdam and finish as high as we possibly can. So that was Terence James, another one of the French hopefuls hoping to fly the flag for France at Eurovision 2021. But finally, let's hear from Andrea Mad or Andrea Mad. I think it's probably how it's meant to be said. Uh, they are a duo hoping as well to represent France this year. And here is Kevin explaining their decision to take part this year. I think it's... Um, we, we talk, for be honest, we talk about the Eurovision to, to be a part of the contest from two years now. Uh, and we're not feeling really ready for that before in the past. And uh, with all the situation in the world uh, in this moment... We have time to think about it, to, to, to think uh, how, what we, we can present, on what kind of song we can work for that. We don't want to present um, like any song. We want to, to write a song for the Eurovision. And with, the, um, with all the situation, we have time to write in studio and to talk about it. And this year, we say, uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So we write this song. And uh, the first reason we do that, I think it's um, we are very uh, we want to challenge ourselves with the new uh, big contest and something yeah. uh, cool. And uh, we want to share this um, this message we have from the beginning with Andrea Mad about the tolerance. And uh, yes, we, we we think it's coherent for, for us now to do the, the contest to try. And uh, the song and our project, it's just, uh, for us, it's just to, to give uh, a positive energy to, to the people, to, fr to the friends, and if possible, to, to the European and all the country participate to the Eurovision. So thank you very much to the acts who have sat down to have a chat with us, who were taking part in Saturday's big show. Good luck to all 12, of course, who are hoping to represent France in the Netherlands this May. And thank you very much to those of you on Twitter as well who've been getting in touch to tell us who you hope represents France and wins through and wins the selection on Saturday. Uh, ESC Sophie tweeted us. She said she hopes Barbara Pravi wins with her song Voila, which I can say and at least attempt to sound a little bit French. Uh, she says the song is beautifully French. She's brilliant in conveying the emotion of the song, even if you don't understand a word, which I definitely don't, as we've already established. Uh, if we do end up getting a lot of 80s pop this year, which 
by the sounds of it, we might do at Eurovision. This could stand out a lot. Uh, she's also a big fan of Terence James's song, which she can't stop playing. As is Elliot. Elliot tweeted us to say that Terence James's song, uh, Je t'aime le monde au That's not it, is it? It's close enough. I think we know which one you mean. He's only got one song in the competition anyway. <laughs> Thankfully. Uh, he says the song is a commercial banger with a twist with the bagpipes and feel he will do France Proud as an ambassador as well. So there you go. Don't forget, the French Selection Show itself is taking place this coming Saturday and you can watch the show itself live over on Uvoir TV, which is where you will also find the longer versions of those interviews in audio and visual form as well. So you can get to see into some very French houses. This is the Euro Trip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. That's right. It is big interview time now on the podcast. We are going to step away from this year's national selections and we are going to go back in time to June when a brand new film dropped on Netflix. It was, of course, Eurovision the story of Fire Saga. And James, I'm not wrong, am I, in saying that that was the film we all needed at that time, especially given that just a few months before, we'd found out that we weren't getting a contest at all last year. No, you're right, aren't you? 2020, uh, this isn't news to anybody. It was a very difficult year. Of course, Eurovision had been cancelled. We were all stuck indoors and we needed a bit of light relief. And we certainly got a bit of light relief from the story of Fire Saga because it was just everything we could have asked for in a film. It really was. Now, Atli Ovarsson, who we will speak to, was so generous with his time. Uh, you might be thinking, the film came out in June. Why are you playing us his interview now? Uh, especially given that I spoke to him in November. So it's been quite a long time coming, this interview. Uh, James, do you want to tell everybody why we're playing it now? Well, we had a grand plan, didn't we? Because if you didn't know, the film itself has been nominated for a Grammy Award. And we thought, well, the Grammys are set to take place on the 31st of January. So let's stick the interview in the run up to the Grammys themselves. And then about 10 days ago, I think we looked online and lo and behold, the Grammys have been moved. Bloody pandemic strikes again, doesn't it? (laughs) strikes again anyway so we thought we'd stick with the original plan to be honest because i think the week of the grammys is a very 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 busy week when it comes to uh selection season so uh, we wanted to give atley his time to shine and here it is it was fantastic to have a chat to him he was the man who composed the score for what was an incredible film i spoke to him from his studio in the heart of rural Iceland, uh, which you may tell from some of the audio quality, but stick with it because it is a brilliant interview, if I do say so myself. And I started by asking him how it felt to be asked to be part of the Eurovision movie project. I mean, my initial reaction was that would be really cool. Will Ferrell, you know, doing a Eurovision movie, what could be better? You know, and, you know, there's a lot of history in Eurovision and for me because, um, Let's see, two of my brothers have competed for Iceland in Eurovision. So, you know, there's like a family connection to it. And and way back when, before I even moved to America, I, I played keyboards in the sort of like the Icelandic Eurovision band for the, you know, for the sort of preliminary, like, you know, selection for a song from Iceland. So, I mean, yeah, so there's there's that history. I've got to stop you there. What, which... Uh... <laughs> So your brothers, you say, competed before. Uh, when did they compete? I, I want to say my older brother, Grétar, competed in 1990 
And they came in second or third or something like that. So, you know, I... <laughs> It's such a funny backstory, and, and coincidentally, David actually knew this whole story, which is Iceland. You know, I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but uh, Iceland decided we we couldn't participate in Eurovision until 1986, and the reason is that's when we finally built a theater big enough to host, you know, the competition because everybody was absolutely convinced they were just going to win. And then, you know, we, uh, so the first song was, uh, you know, the, like the first particip participation was in 1986. Of course, we came in 16th, you know, and it was like a national disaster. And, you know, while the show was happening, there was nobody on the streets anywhere. I mean, the whole nation was just like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to win Eurovision. <laughs> and then, you know, when my brother went and, you know, so the first few years, it didn't go very well. And then my brother and, and, his band uh, went, came in third, and I mean, he was basically a national hero. And uh, so, you know, you can't make this stuff up, right? But then, okay, so um, fast forward to 2020, and I'm in LA, and David is like, you should just come over and take a look at the film. And I, I'm like, okay. And, uh, you know, it was just like an out-of-body experience, because I'm sitting on this in this office on Sunset Boulevard, looking at the Hollywood Hills, palm trees, sunny. And, and then, you know, you next to me is the screen with like a movie about Eurovision taking place in Husari. And, you know, which is a place obviously I know quite well. And, and just that juxtaposition of, two, of those two worlds was so incredibly funny. And of course, I mean, I laughed my ass off watching the film. And no, I mean, there was never any doubt for me whether I wanted to do this film. How, you've said there, obviously, you know Husevik so well, but how uh, how accurate was was the depiction of Husevik in the film as in real life? Well, <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a stylized parody version of Husevik. First of all, th there's no parking tickets in Husevik, you know, like, and so, so that, you can, you can just start with that, you know, but I mean, you know, the funny thing about it is like even the names, you know, of people, you know, the Icelandic characters aren't really Icelandic names. They're sort of some sort of bastardized Scandinavian names. And, and but that's a part of the whole joke, you know, and it's a part of the whole sort of, I think it's, I mean, I haven't discussed this with Will Ferrell personally, but I, I feel like that's kind of a part of his, you know, shtick about the whole thing is that it's just like, you know, you can take you know, liberties with all of these things. You just kind of make up your own little Husavik world. So, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's obviously accurate sort of in, in the town just looks like that. And But, you know, people aren't really like this in Iceland, you know, and although there are funny things like the elf house, you know, I mean, like people here really do believe in elves, you know, or we call them the hidden people. I think a part of it is I've lived abroad for so long that to me, it's almost like, you know, when I moved back to Iceland, I felt like I was able to kind of see things from an outsider's perspective. And there are people here who sort of took this a bit personally and they're like, they're just making fun of us. I'm like, of course they're making fun of us. That's the whole idea, you know? It's the, what did you expect? Did you think Will Ferrell was gonna make a documentary? You know, 
So I, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's all great. The father is ashamed of you. He's right. My father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. That's not true. No, it is true. After you left, he looked me deep into the eyes and said, "I am ashamed of you. Your life is a joke." Maybe he was drunk. No, he said, and you might think that I am drunk, but I am dead sober. I think, yeah, that's um, that sort of um, perception of the film. I think is what a lot of Eurovision fans need to take on board with as well, because I know a lot of Eurovision fans. Maybe some who will be listening to this were sat at home watching the film, going, "But that wouldn't have happened. But that wouldn't have happened. But that's not that's not the point whatsoever. You know, that no. wasn't that. Of course, wasn't the point. But back to your role as as the composer of the film." You have seen the film, as you said there, you watched the film in, in David's office. Do you then have a, a blank slate to kind of do what you want or how much of a brief are you given as to what, sound, what, what the score should sound like? I mean, there's, there's very much a, a sort of, um, you know, idea for what it should be. You know, David really had something somewhat specific in mind, you know, certain instruments, certain sort of feel, you know, mostly kind of small personal instrumentation, those kinds of things. And as I said, you know, he heard something I did for another film, which he was really drawn to. And, you know, not to sound patronizing, but, you know, just to explain to your listeners that usually when, when editors are cutting a movie, they use what we call temp score, you know, so they take music from other films or albums or whatever, and sort of use that as a placeholder uh, until somebody comes in and replaces it with the, with the actual score. So, you know, there was kind of a, a direction, but um, at the end of the day, you know, it's about the idea. And in this case, you know, what happened is that I, I went and watched the film. I really loved it. You know, I talked to my agent after I said, I really want to do this. And so I'm taking an Uber from Sunset Boulevard to Santa Monica where my studio in LA is. And I just started hearing this tune in my head. And I went to the studio, sat down and banged it out in 10 minutes, recorded it and sent it to David. I said, I think I have the tune. And that's the tune, you know? And it's like, you know, it's really amazing when this kind of thing happens, but it's just sort of like this gift that's, you know, given to you is like, you know, here's the tune. And, uh, you know, if I hadn't had that reaction, I'm not sure if it would have worked out so well, but it just, it was just meant to be. I suppose that would that was going to be my next question was, you know, how how difficult was it to come up with uh, a theme or a score for a film which has, you know, a number of different elements to it because inherently it is a comedy movie, of course, but there are some quite tender moments in it as well. So you have to bring in a range of emotions to the music as you're as you're coming up with it. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I have to say it went quite smoothly and, and just almost surprisingly smoothly. And, and the truth is that David uh, wasn't sure if he really wanted a composer to, to write an underscore. And but little by little, as they cut the film, they realized we actually do really need that. And, uh, you know, he you know, he had, he had had a couple of experiences on films where he wasn't quite getting what he wanted. And he, he was a little sort of apprehensive about hiring a composer. And but somehow, you know, we just hit it off. Uh, we had a similar vision. We 
like maybe a similar sense of humor, similar just kind of um, feel for what the music should be. And, and, you know, it's just, it's so funny with these, with film projects, you know, sometimes it's just a slug and it's just hard to kind of find the tone and, and, and find the common ground with the director and all that. But, and sometimes it just really works out. And, you know, this is one of those films where it just like, it just felt natural. It felt like a natural fit. The score is, of course, a, a major contrast to some of the songs that you mentioned. You mentioned Ya Ya Ding Dong at the start of the interview. <laughs> you know, some of the other ridiculous songs that, that aren't fantastic that um, Savan Katecha produced, I know. Did you have any interaction with Savan Katecha when it came to what you were going to do? Or you were very much individual islands doing your own stuff and it just went into the film like that? Yeah, the latter. I mean, really sort of individual, because the songs had already been written and recorded and, and all of that, they were just ready, you know, so what they needed was the, you know, was the emotional storytelling beats in between. And, um, you know, we met, you know, at a screening, like a test screening in LA for the film, but that was really all the interaction we ever had, you know, and, um, you know, they're, they're just sort of... Um, they live separate lives in the film, you know, the score and the songs. And uh, I mean, but I mean, I just want to say, like, I think they, you know, the songwriting team did just an amazing job. And I, I mean, some of these songs are really, really strong, amazing songs. I like, I feel like Husavi would have won Eurovision. You know, it's such a great song, you know. When it comes to, to Iceland and Eurovision, uh, you know, it was a massive shame, of course, that Eurovision didn't take place this year because the smart money would have been on Iceland winning the whole thing. Um, yeah. Danny Flair is going to, to Eurovision again next year, so Eurovision 2021. He's bound to be one of the favourites to win it. Eurovision was to come to Iceland or Reykjavik in 2022. If somebody asks you to write the score for Eurovision, if someone asks you to write the Eurovision <laughs> theme, that sounds like a pretty good job. No, I've not been approached about this, uh, but you know, I would be delighted to do it, obviously. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were really, obviously, everybody was disappointed that it didn't didn't work out. And I was personally really disappointed because the movie was supposed to be premiered uh, the day before or after the, the final in Rotterdam, you know? And so I was looking forward to going there and having a big, you know, big uh just party and, and enjoy the whole thing but um you know knock on wood hopefully we'll be able to hopefully somebody will be able to host the, the next one and uh you know a pandemic allowing and my final question this is this might be a more difficult question because this is something that we ask um the eurovision the ex-eurovision participants that we normally talk to on the podcast everybody normally asks them what's their favorite eurovision song but we ask what's your second favorite Eurovision song of all time. <laughs> wow, my second favorite Eurovision song of all time. 
My second favourite is probably Waterloo. Now, we were saying that we have had the Euphoria klaxon a few times, but not before, I think, have we had uh, ABBA and Waterloo mentioned as a second favourite Eurovision song. No, I think Alex Lark may have said it was his first favourite, or his, his favourite, if you would probably put it like that. <laughs> but never has anybody said it's their second favourite. So there you go. Well done, Adley. I think we'll excuse him as well if his brother's Eurovision song is his favourite. I think that's probably, <laughs> that's probably okay. Uh, yeah, his brother, uh, Atlee mentioned them earlier on. Uh, they finished fourth, incidentally, uh, at, uh, at Eurovision 1990, which is uh, Iceland's second best result to date. So very well done to them. It's quite a claim to fame, isn't it? You, my brother finished fourth at Eurovision. What's your biggest claim to fame like that, Rob? I once had an entire PE lesson dedicated to me because I couldn't do a forward roll and still can't. <laughs> Is that the you sort weren't of... very good in school, were you? You couldn't do a roly-poly. You couldn't do French very well. If... You didn't shine very brightly in primary school, did you? Uh, this was all in high school. I was, I oh, was, was, even, it? I was even more of an adult at this stage. So, <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, I mean, I was in, an embarrassment to my parents and, and probably still am. But here we are. Anyway, should we just once again say a massive thanks to uh, Atlee of Arson for joining us on the podcast this week. Uh, he has, as I say every week, a fascinating story to tell. He really does. That's becoming your catchphrase, isn't it? <laughs> it wouldn't be the Euro trip if James didn't say a fascinating story to tell. It also would not be the Euro trip if we did not end with the one second song. Uh, new listeners, this is where we play one second of Eurovision song and both myself and James take it in turns each week to guess four points on offer, which are the country involved, uh, the artist, the song title and the year. Uh, I embarrassed myself last week in getting the year wrong, uh, given that it was the Czech Republic and we had just spoken to the artist from the year that I suggested it was. Uh, but this week... Uh, I think James is going to struggle. I'm not going to say anything. Can we just play the song? Let's do it. Now then, this has been hastily arranged because you listeners did not hear me about five minutes ago, say to Rob, have you got this week's one second song organised? And the uh, the expletives that came out of his mouth were unbroadcastable. So I feel like you've just gone, oh no, and just picked a uh, picked a song and just mashed them together. So I feel like it's a difficult one again. It is a difficult one. What I have done, and you are correct, I had completely forgotten. I've had quite a busy day. Uh, I have just fallen back into my catalogue of uh, Rob's favourite Eurovision songs. So it's one of my faves, actually, this week on the One Second Song. Oh, so that means I should probably know what it is then. Let's just jog my memory again. Let's hear it one more time. Right then, uh, as usual, James hasn't got a clue. So... I have heard Rob in the past say that one of his favourite Eurovision songs of all time, I think, comes from Norway. Uh, I don't know which song it is. I don't know which artist it is. But I think... That's quite vague thus far. It is. But I think it may have been 2006. You are not, because I can't be bothered to come up with one, going to come up with a fake name for an artist and a song. But I'm just going to give you Norway 2006. Uh, Norway 2006, of course, was Alf Dansen, which that song very much uh, was not, unfortunately for you. Uh, but you were right. Norway 2006, one of my favourite Eurovision songs of all time. So I get a point for that anyway. That's a bonus point on the chart. If you want, because, I mean, you're going to need all the points you uh, y- you can get this week. <laughs> uh, you weren't that far off with the year, to be honest. You were a year out. It was 2005. It was uh, the country which is now known uh, as North Macedonia. 
It was Martin Vukic. And I'm going to say this. One of my favourite Eurovision songs. Uh, Make My Day. Uh, Martin Vukic, uh, Make My Day, uh, finished 17th in Kiev in 2005 with a grand total of 52 points. Very well done to him. More points than we'll ever score on the one second song. Yeah, I mean, a point a week we'd need every uh, every week for a year. And that's not likely to happen, is it? Speaking of which, this is episode number 26, which means we've done half a year of the Eurotrip podcast. So if this is episode number one for you, or if you've been here every single week... A big thanks to you. And for that, we've got a bit of an announcement. We have got a bit of an announcement, although we're going to do that annoying thing where we tell you we've got a bit of an announcement, but the announcement is actually about another announcement rather than us just telling you what the announcement is. Uh, So keep an eye on At Your Trip Podcast on Sunday evening. Uh, We think you're going to like what you see. uh, And it just means there's going to be more Rob and James. That's, That's all you're getting. Who wouldn't want that? A bit more Robin James in your life? That's what people are dreaming for. That's what people put on their Christmas list last year. Yeah, I think we told people to stop doing that, didn't we? <laughs> that was a bit that was a bit much. And also pandemic. We can't travel. Yeah. We'd love to, but we can't. Uh, anyway, as Rob says, keep an eye on your Twitter feeds, your Instagram feeds at Eurotrip Podcast over the weekend for our big announcement. I'm not going to say it's a little announcement, it is a big announcement. It's a big announcement, and I'll tell you, listeners, uh, me and James started planning this said thing that we're announcing at the end of October. So it's been a long time in the making, but hopefully you enjoy it uh, when you find out what it is. Uh, It has been a pleasure to have you with us this week. As James has said, episode 26 of the Eurotrip. Thank you very, very much for joining us. If you have a comment on anything you've heard uh, at Eurotrip Podcast, as we've said about 18 times already, on Twitter and Instagram as well. But don't forget to... Subscribe, leave us a review, rate us five stars. Thank you very much for saying that, Mr. Rowe, because I forget what it is and the order every single uh, week. Uh, from me and from Sir Terry, because it's been a long time. Hoody ho 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 hoody ho, bye bye. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, he sounds a bit different this week. <laughs> Uh, so from me and Sateri, who I promise you is from Ireland, uh, goodbye. Ho, 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 a good boy. And from James himself, goodbye. The not very French sounding Terence James. Uh, you heard a longer interview with him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but he is attempting to represent France, of course, this year. France, his adopted nation, he's got a Scottish father. I don't know why I said Scottish so bizarrely there. Scottish. <laughs> Roll with it. I like it. Keep going. He's got a Scottish father. Uh, no. We'll do, no. No, 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 no. No, I wanted that in. That's going in. <laughs> <laughs>
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.